awesome. You know, God is just good. God is good, and uh, and He wants good for you. He has nothing but good for you. Jesus said, man, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The devil, he's the one that comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't Don't get those things mixed up. God's not the one who's bringing hardship on you. Most of the time, we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world and the devil's still active. And sometimes, sometimes uh, bad people do thing, bad things to good people, you know? It's just the way it is. God has given a free will to all of us. And, and uh, so in this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen. Amen. I was talking to somebody at work the other day. I was telling Tavana, and they, they were doing pretty good with this. They said, I could, I could tell something was wrong. The boss and his, his uh, chief assistant, they were there, and uh, they were like, I said, what's going on with y'all? Something's wrong. They said, well, we had a few setbacks, but uh, look at it like this, that uh, you know maybe God just gave it to us all up here in the beginning of the year <laughs> so we can get it behind us, and now it's just going to be good. And, uh, and so we choose to make uh, with these lemons to make lemonade. I said, that's good. I like the way you think, but can I help you with that just a little bit? I said, instead of associating God with the bad things that came, he didn't give those to you and get them out of the way. The devil is active, and he, he, he's tried some things on you, but now the promise from God is that he will take all those things that the devil meant for evil for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose, and he will use them for good. Now, he's the one effectively making lemonade out of those lemons, you see? And so that's a better way to think of it. Don't associate the, the negative things that come at you with God because he's definitely not, not using sickness and, and debt and things like that to teach you a lesson. Amen. That's just a nugget for free. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you in your house with your children and to be loved by you, to receive of your goodness that we may overflow with love and go and share it as beacons of your light to a sick and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. It is good to, to be here with you all today. Yeah. I, uh, I've been trying to take you all on a little bit of a journey for the last few weeks. And, and, uh, and uh, so I hope we're making some headway. But it, uh, it kind of culminated, I guess, recently in the fact that uh, how God was dealing with me when I was coming along. And I thought sharing some of those things with you all might help someone, either here or somewhere else now or in the future. Amen. But I came to a point where I knew that I needed to do things God's way. I knew that there wasn't really an option to serve him. He had done his part and came and saved me when he heard my call and I had promised that I would never ask him to leave and I knew that I was going to be going through life anyway we're on this journey anyway we may as well do things his way he wrote out a plan for our lives and those pages may or may not be fulfilled it's not just going to happen that's a terrible teaching when people teach the sovereignty of God to the extent that, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. 
Whatever happens is because God wanted it. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's a lot of things happening that God does not desire to be happening. Amen? This is all about a partnership, a relationship. So the journey continues. And so I decided, well, he loved me enough to do these things for me. I'm going to find out what pleases him. Ephesians 5.10 is one of my favorite scriptures. Depending on what version you have, it says find out what pleases the Lord. <laughs> that's, the, that's the scripture. That means you can know. Amen. He said, those of you who seek me will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. And last week we were talking about coming to a place like this. And you say, well, what is it that I have to do to do the works that God requires of me? The disciples asked Jesus this question. And he, said he simply said this. The work of God is that you believe on me. On him that he sent. On Jesus and uh, and and that's that that word believe has been problematic for some I think yeah, oh I believe and they go on about their business <laughs> that's all I needed check <laughs> I'm good then go on about my business sinning or whatever it is my way my life how I want to live I, I believe in him no problem that ain't it <laughs> that ain't the believing he's talking about <laughs> But this belief is imperative. The belief he's talking about, and we're going to get to that. Because it has to be the root or the source of all of the choices, choices, all of the actions that we take in this life. And proper action, we discovered last week, without faith, without this proper belief system as a motive, is just religion. And that won't help us. But believing properly, Resulting in faith, it will produce the desired works that God would like to see from us. That he, he set apart in advance before the time began for us to accomplish. But those works, those good things that we do, again, are not the root of our relationship. They're the fruit of it. And wrong understanding of this has caused many people to go shipwrecked. Still trying to earn their salvation, you see. Instead of works being produced as a basis of the salvation or relationship that we already have with the Lord. We learned from Balaam last week in the Old Testament, Numbers 22, that, that right actions with the wrong motive uh, could get us killed. <laughs> His old donkey had to save him. Otherwise, that angel of the Lord was going to strike him down. God told him to go, and when he went, God was man. Why? Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. Balaam's motives were wrong. Greed and corruption were in his heart, and God saw it and judged it. We thank God that we have Jesus. Amen? God is... Put all of his judgment on Jesus as long as we are found to be in him. But Jesus said, when I return, will I even find faith? And we know that it's necessary that he does. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without love, none of it profits us at all, even works of faith. So the only thing that matters is what? Faith 
expressing itself or working through love. That's 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 through 3, I think. Oh, no, Galatians 5, 6. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so what is this, this belief system? What is this faith expressing itself through love? What does all this look like if it's just not, okay, I believe he exists? Because James, the brother of Jesus, and his short epistle said, you believe? Good. It's a sarcastic scripture. <laughs> he says, you believe? Good. So does the devil. <laughs> and he trembles. So not only does the devil and his demons believe in God, they know who Jesus is, and they're terrified of him. <laughs> James says, good. That's, that's nothing. He says, faith without works is dead. So we're going to look at that a little bit because this is some of the things that I struggled with when I was trying to figure out how to do the Christian life. We always want to know how to, how to, how to. And the truth is how to will get you into works if you're not careful. So you need to understand right believing which produces right doing. Amen. The first thing we need to believe is that Jesus loves us very much and that he paid the ultimate price for our salvation because Love is something that's required of us. Faith expressing itself through love. So the good things that we do, they need to be motivated by our overflow. And now how do you have an overflow? If you, don't, if you have a barrier and you've never received the love of God, then you can't overflow with it to others. You have to receive and so the most important thing for a Christian to focus on, instead of what must I do, is what did he do? I was sharing this with uh, Tiffany this morning, making sure that we teaching the young people properly that, that it's good. We, we, the Bible is full of how to, how to do the Christian life. Jesus showed us the Christian life. He showed us the godly example and then the epistles in the New Covenant show us how to do it. They tell us how to do it. So the how-tos are there, but we have to make sure the motivation is right. You make sure those children know how much he loves them, how much you love them, how much their pastor loves them, how much the church loves them and is praying for them. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Tiffany gets that. She's helping those kids back there. Y'all need to pray for her. And we need mature godly women. I've told her we're going to get a list. The godly women, the mature women here who will, when you're here, from time to time, when called upon, you will be willing to help out in the children's ministry because we always need that influence as well, you see. And so that's, she's not alone in this. Nevertheless, I don't want to get off course. <laughs> Here's something... I want you to think about, because we're talking about the Christian life. I wish somebody would tell me these things and just be straightforward with me. Because I was always looking for what am I to do. And I would go and I'd hear a wrong message. It would be countered with a right message. I would, you know, confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Following Jesus. Write that down. Following Jesus. 
Write it on your hand. And then do this. Following Jesus, that term appears in the gospel according to Matthew 24 times. And it signifies a relationship between Jesus and others. Okay? Again, the short gospel of Mark, he talks about following Jesus 15 times. He has a strong emphasis in his gospel on discipleship. <clears throat> to know what, what Jesus means by believing in him. I had to understand it because I knew it was more than just knowing he exists. I knew it was more than what many people proclaim to be their salvation. Oh yeah, I got baptized. I said the prayer. I don't go to church anymore. Uh, yeah, I still try to go by the Ten Commandments. I knew that wasn't salvation. And it's not. <laughs> Jesus called me to help people come out of religion, whether it's church type of religion or a worldly religion, which, which is focused on good works, and into relationship with him, the God who loves them and is the one, only one that can help them propel them into this great salvation that they have entered into or have not. So they talk about following Jesus a lot in Matthew and in Mark. And, and so I said, you know what I need to do? I need to look at those who followed him. If I need to follow Jesus, I need to know what that means exactly. And I'm going to study. I'm going to look at those who followed him. It's in here. And in Mark, the third chapter, the 14th verse, Mark, the third chapter, the 14th verse, it says, this was right after Jesus, okay, Jesus was 30 years old before he did anything great. There's no account of Jesus ever performing a miracle, preaching the gospel, or doing any kind of signs and wonders or anything great until he was 30 years old. So if you're discouraged and you think that God has forgotten you and you want to be used by God, if it took him 30 years to prepare himself before he launched into his ministry, you can be a little patient too. Then he went. His cousin baptized him in the wilderness. He went 40 days the Holy Spirit drove him out there to be tested and tried, and he came back. And Matthew, in Mark 3, 14, one of the first things he did, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, and then it names them. He appointed his disciples. To be with him. To be with him. And this was more than just a proximity thing. In other words, I just want you to be near me. No. 
it's much more than that. It, 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 it spells out a relationship that they had. Jesus required them to follow wherever he led, yes. It required daily interaction, submission to his teaching. He wanted their allegiance, and in exchange for this, he gave them life-giving instruction and daily provision for their lives, didn't he? Amen. He cared for them. He provided for them. And they followed him. All kinds of people followed him. Not just the disciples, but blind Bartimaeus, lots of women. Women undergirded Jesus' ministry. They provided, took care of him, they paid for his ministry. In many cases, lots of different types of people, large crowds that sometimes followed Jesus. And then in John 6, 6, 6, John, Jesus knew. He said, God, he said, my father knows the ones who he's given to me. And so Jesus had a lot of hard teaching. He, he never apologized either. He told somebody the truth one time, went on about his business. He never begged anyone. He never pleaded with them to believe he simply spoke the truth all the time. Sometimes this looks like it's not love, but it is always love. He told Peter one time, he said, Peter, you you are you're gonna you're the rock that I'm gonna build my church upon. And a few scriptures later he turned around and told him, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he still loved him. Still loved him. He just didn't realize he was being influenced to say what he just said to Jesus. By Satan. So Jesus told him the truth. The truth is what sets us free. Amen. One time he told he told a large crowd as well as the disciples. And a bunch of them told him in John the 6th chapter. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't, uh, you can't be my disciple. <laughs> now, we have an understanding of this now. When we take communion, we get it. They didn't. And he didn't offer an explanation. They said, this is a hard teaching. And it says in John 6, 6, 6, that they turned back and many of them followed him no more. Spirit of Antichrist. Jesus, and he took to Peter, he said, you want to leave too? And he said, no, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? He said, God had to tell you that. You see? But lots of different people followed him. And for three and a half years, some followed him temporarily, periodically. One reason or another, motivations were wrong. Sometimes it was for political reasons. Sometimes it was to, to, to get the bread, the manna. That, that when he fed the 5,000 and the 7,000, they liked that. They wanted to see him heal people. They liked the miracles. They liked the... You know, they had different motives. Some of them were following him because they knew that he was from God. These disciples followed him for three and a half years. Look at Mark, just one, one more talking about motives. Mark, the 14th chapter, uh, right almost to the end. There's 16 chapters in Mark. Mark, the 14th chapter, 
and we'll probably just stay there and then I'm almost done actually today. We're not going to be long. I'm only going to close three or four times. <laughs> Mark the 14th chapter and look at the 10th verse. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is talking about Judas, who we know betrayed Jesus. Sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And then actually was very sad about it. Went and threw the money back in there to the, the priest. They wouldn't take it from him. And then he went and killed himself. But it was... Uh, it was Judas that he, he followed Jesus for three and a half years just like the rest of the disciples. Right up to the last day when us, this all took place. But he never was following for the right reasons. He was the treasurer of the ministry. And he stole money the whole while. And Jesus knew it the whole time. And he never corrected him. Hoping all along if he would repent, you know. It's the goodness of God that brings repentance. And so sometimes God, I, I never forget Billy Graham telling the story about a man standing up at one of his meetings and saying he was an atheist, a proclaimed atheist. Apparently he'd never been in a fox foxhole under fire. But uh, he stood up in front of Billy's uh, podium and made a big scene and said, there's no God and I'll prove it. If there's a God, I call upon him to strike me dead right now. He stood there for five minutes or something like that. And he said, see, that's proof. There's no God. And Billy told him, you can't exhaust God's patience in one day. <laughs> I told him. Thankfully, amen. But Judas was one of those that followed him for the wrong reasons. Now, we know that there were 11 disciples that were good. Amen. And um, and Peter was one of them, of course. We know that he was he makes us feel a lot better. If you read about Peter, you see he was always sticking his foot in his mouth and doing something silly. He was zealous for the for God though. And Peter followed him for three and a half years. And I I want you to continue reading with me in Mark the fourteenth chapter. Let's go down to the twenty sixth verse. Um this was on the night of, of Jesus' betrayal. And right after they had what's commonly known as the Last Supper, a Passover meal, they shared with Jesus. When they had sung a hymn, it says here in 26, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though... All of these fall away. I won't. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he went and he prayed, and we know this is where he, he sweated great drops of blood, and they were waiting, and, and this was, Judas was planning for the betrayal. Skip down to 43rd verse, for time's sake. 
And immediately, while he was still speaking, Jesus, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That was Peter. He was ready to die with him, wasn't he? It was almost a sure thing, to be honest with you. It was just a few of them. They only had this one sword amongst them against a, an armed guard. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. That was Mark, the writer of this gospel. <laughs> and they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Now listen, we're at the 54th verse. And Peter had followed him at a distance. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. For three and a half years, Peter had followed him. Peter was obviously a man's man, not, a, not afraid of a scrap. He proved that he was willing to die in a fight with Jesus right there. But, when they took him off to go be prosecuted, to be accused, to be mistreated and judged, Peter followed at a distance. Just like following Jesus, like I said, involves more than just a physical proximity. There's more to it than that, isn't there? Hello? Hello? Following Jesus just doesn't mean I need to, to, to stay right behind him. There's, there's more meaning to following him, right? So just, just like following him involves more than a physical proximity, so following Jesus at a distance involves more than just physical detachment. You get that? In an effort, in an effort to seek safety, to keep from being harmed himself, Peter did the most dangerous thing he could possibly do by putting distance between himself and Jesus. Putting distance in the, between him and Jesus, in the relationship with Jesus. That distance left him vulnerable. It left him vulnerable. And what did Peter do? He quickly drifted off course, didn't he? The very next time he appears, let's look over, let's keep reading in Mark 14. Go down to the 66th, of course. Start the 66th verse. 
And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. <laughs> and when he went out into the gateway, the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man's one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. He started cussing and saying, Uh-uh. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. We all claim to be followers of Jesus. Not physically so much as relationally. Right? And Jesus still desires our allegiance. And in exchange, He provides for us. He takes care of us. Our, not only our physical needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, all cared for by Jesus through this relationship. He's, the, he's our daily bread. He is the manna from heaven. He's the, the word made flesh. So he's a lamp unto our, our feet, a light unto our path. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He's good. He's love. And He loves us and He provides and cares for us. But there's a relationship that's necessary in order for us to receive of the blessings and provision for this life and the next that He's provided. Amen? Amen. So He requests our fellowship and in return we follow Him wherever He leads. Like Peter we might be following the right person at the wrong distance. <coughs> you ever think about that? Distance makes us vulnerable, just like it did Peter. It can leave room for many things in our lives. Sin is one of them, of course. And that can disrupt fellowship with God. Why? Because He'll, he'll hate us if we sin. He'll stop loving us if we sin? No. You will. You'll feel condemned. Your heart will be hardened. You erect barricades in your life. You don't run to God when you sin. You run from Him. In many cases. It should be the opposite. And the stronger your relationship gets, you'll learn to run to Him and not from Him. He already knows everything. and He's the, he's the one with the answers. Fear, I think, causes this sometimes, this distance between us and God. 
What do I mean by that? A lot of you struggle with this type of fear, this fear of, of man. And what what it manifests itself in is a fear of of being associated with Jesus. And it's important that we think about this one in the time that we live. Because in these last days, there there will be and there has been a great falling away from the church. That's what's prophesied in the Bible. So this is not maybe. It will happen. And it is happening. And I think even within the church, um, the, the great falling away. Has, and so what you have is, is people will not will no longer withstand sound doctrine, the Bible says. In other words, what God says. And so they'll itch up, they'll, they'll heap up for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Okay? That's why we have entire churches and denomination splits and things like that. Okay, this part of uh, the Methodist church now or whatever accepts gay and lesbian marriage and uh, we'll even have a we'll ordain a, 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 a homosexual uh, or lesbian pastors and things like that you see so now now you've got a group okay we love Jesus we're, we're the church but that you can't take that literally that part oh wait shh, shh, shh. take that shh, shh. <laughs> You have to tear out great portions of the Bible, or you just have to say, oh, this is just an old book written by men about God. See, that'll get you a long ways in, in, in smoothing over the areas of your life, the rough spots that don't look like the Word of God. And you look into this righteous mirror of the Word, and it doesn't line up with your life. If you can say, well, this is just a book written by men about God, it's just kind of a guideline then anything you want to do is okay. You can make this word say anything you want it to, but only by the help of the Holy Spirit and revelation, you let the word interpret the word, can you find out the real truth. I've known many people, I know many people who are so frustrated and frustrating because they have tried to learn God with their mind. They've learned this word. They've made sure that nobody will be able to come against them with something they don't know by, you know, they're educated, they're smart, they're, they're not going to let this, this, this dumb pastor tell them anything that they don't already know. But they can never know God that way. You look at people like Bill Maher and, 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 and things like that. Obviously, he knows a lot about this Bible. He'll tell people what, what Christianity is not. If you do this and you do this and you do this, you're not a Christian. What's he basing it on? This word. He knows a lot about what it says. But he doesn't know the word. He knows the logos, the written word, but not the rama. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can make this no revelation knowledge to you. A life in and after the Spirit is an amazing place to live and be. But it's not something that we do in pride. The Holy Spirit will never cooperate with you inside of pride. Your way. Your timing. 
Nevertheless, this fear of being associated with Jesus, fear of being uh, uh, more, more concerned about the immediate results of what man will say or think about you than what God thinks or says about you. After all, God's not here judging you right now. You know, why should I do this? This person's over here doing whatever they want, and they're not being uh, judged for. They're not being mistreated. God's not getting them. You see, we, we forget to look. God is very patient, like I said. And we will be rewarded or not in the next life for the things done here, our decisions regarding the Son of God. <clears throat> you may get in some of us <laughs> but Paul says you as a, as one who passed through the fire <laughs> it smelled a little like smoke <laughs> almost everything burned up you see as hay and stubble only the th things done for Christ will last how many of us are using that basis as a foundation I saw this guy what was it, Steve Harvey or whatever the one that made a mistake in the pageant Tavana showed me this thing, and it was it was it was good. It was encouraging on one level because he was telling people, "Look, if you everybody needs to jump," he said, "You need to jump." That's what they called it. He got millions of hits or whatever. Everybody's watching this video. He said, "Everybody needs to jump." He goes, "God has given everybody a gift, and they need to be pursuing that. If you're at a job you hate, you need to you need to be doing what you need to do. It might be doing hair or yards or." Or this or that or whatever, but whatever it is, you need to be doing that. Don't stay with, you know, because you need to be doing what makes you happy. Okay? He stops short, and this is where a lot of churches go wrong too. And somebody comes to them counseling. I had a relative that, 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 that just came back to me and said they were fine with what they had talked to me about now because their pastor convinced them by asking them, what's in it for you? What do you stand to lose? If you continue on with this m way of thinking, and can I tell you that's a terrible piece of advice for a Christian, because not once does it ask them to consider Jesus, what's in it for Him, and I'm here to tell you that really is should be the basis of our choices and decisions. If we really say He came and saved us from our our death penalty, which is what salvation is, I mean that's the the, the entryway into it, okay? It's about the relationship that he wants with you. But what he had to do in order to get you there is to die in your place. <laughs> and on that basis, our reasonable service is to now consider what's in it for him. You see? If we died with him, which is what really happened spiritually, and then we raised up with him. Now, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. Then, to never consider what's in it for the kingdom of God and for his glory, how does this glorify God? If that question isn't ever in your vocabulary to yourself, then you're really either not saved or you're very immature in your, in your salvation. And I encourage you today to press in to God and grow in this relationship. Because yes, He wants you to have the abundant life. But what does that mean? Just a life of everything, every good thing that I ever want or need? No, He's going to provide many of those things. 
But the abundant life is a life of an overcomer, free from worry and sin and sickness and poverty and all those other things. But it's a life following Jesus and Him providing daily for your needs. A busy life, we can all relate to that one. And so, these, these things that say what causes this distance in our relationship, this fear, this busy life, causes us to lose focus or to drift away from Him. We've all done that to some degree. And it robs us of the intimacy that we need and, and that really we're, we're only at peace when we have. And just the distance in the relationship sometimes is caused between the distance or the time frame from point A to point now. In other words, the honeymoon is over. I pointed Garrett and Samantha. They're still they're still on there. But years down the road, sometimes Christians look back and they say, "Man, Lord." I just, they see a a new Christian. They see somebody, I tell you what, always gives life to a church and to a ministry. Someone like Ashley, who just is caught up in it. God has overwhelmed her, and she's on fire for God. You know, not that some of the rest of you aren't, but she's just an example. That is always encouraging to a Christian who's been on on the walk for a while. Because you can lose that zeal. Let me tell you something, what we need to learn and to know about every relationship. Because we we are called, we are commanded to love, aren't we? Can I tell you something? Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It's that feeling we're talking about when we say love, that emotion, that joy, that, that feeling of love, that is a good thing. That is, that is nice. But it's not always there. Love's a choice. And whatever relationship it is, whether it's between you and God or you and your spouse or you and your friends, you need to choose love. You need, because you are love now. If Christ is in you, that's who you really are. And sometimes you just have to choose it because you can't always sense it. Because it's a spiritual thing. And we cannot sense with our five uh, senses Things which are spiritual. You hear people tell you that. Oh, I felt God. Oh, God showed up. God was already there. You know? Somebody doesn't have to hoop and holler from the pulpit and somebody run around a church and jump three pews and and, uh, dance with a snake in the aisle for God to have showed up. God's here. You need to be confident in that. I know people that the only time that they ever experience God and they're always looking is when they go to a place they find they find the happening church place where where God is really showing up right now and they get a goosebump and they see somebody jump the pew then to them God was there you see but if not he wasn't well that's that's a very unhealthy relationship for you to have with God You need to know that He's always with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He loves you. And He said, He 
said that Thomas, Thomas, once Thomas saw him and he saw the holes in his hands and in his feet, he said, he, he, then he believed, didn't he? Jesus said, well, it's good that you believe. He said, but more blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. How many of you know he's with you today? How many of you know he loves you? And I want to tell you, because to close that gap in your relationship, you need to first get you bearing. You might be right here with God. You, you might be closer than you've ever been. That's good. That's just, that's just encouraging to you. But some of us, maybe we have a little distance, some, other, some greater distance than others, and we need to close that gap. If we find ourselves following Jesus at a distance, we need to just close that gap. Get our bearings, figure out what happened, how far off course are we, and make the correction. That's all. That's all repentance is. Repentance and, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's good to be sorry when we do things wrong. But repentance is just a change in mind that brings about a change in action regarding God. That's all. Just change your mind. And, Lord, sorry, I missed it right there. I dropped the ball right there. I was wrong, and you're right. Let's go. He don't ever want to talk about it again if you were sincere. Trust me. He don't like talking about all that old stuff. He has... He is a God of today. This is the day of your salvation. He is a God of today and a beautiful, bright future that he has in store for you. But trust me, you might be able to hash out a pretty good life for yourself here on your own. But man, we are just, we are just here on this planet Earth for just a tiny pinpoint on a thousand miles of rope. Why focus on this so much? Focus on eternity with God. Focus on what He's done. Focus on the relationship that you have entered into. Paul said in Hebrews, he said, How shall we escape if we neglect or really ever fail, fail to ever enter into this great salvation? And it is great. It's immense. It's greater than we'll ever know. And most of us are just scratching the surface. Never forget that dream I had about a year ago when when the Lord was just in front of me saying, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? And I knew exactly what he meant. This is what he was talking about. All the things that he's given me. All the revelation, knowledge, and wisdom, and understanding of his word. Because I asked. And I sought him for it. And now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that information? <laughs> you know, are you just going to repent day to day? Are you just going to come and say, Lord, help me to close the gap every week that I've created? Or are you going to follow me? Are you going to really pursue this thing? And get everything out of salvation that I have for you. And everything that that means for all the others that you can affect. And that goes for each of us. We just need to keep sin out of the way. Not because it makes God hate us. But because it's just not who you are anymore. It is not who you are anymore. If you're in Christ, 
that sin nature is gone and it goes against everything you are to continue behaving that way, thinking that way. Also, it destroys your witness. People are watching you. If you are a light, if you're the only candle in a dark room, people are looking at you like a moth to the flame. And if you're telling them about Christ and what He's done for you on one hand and then you're offending them on the other by your life, you're just bringing more confusion and corruption to the body of Christ. Don't do that. <laughs> and the other reason we don't sin is because it opens a door for the devil. And he's always looking for opportunity. He hates you because of Jesus. And he wants to steal the word from you because that word contains faith. And without faith, it is impossible for you to please God. And eventually, he will get you to harden your heart so much against God that you will turn away. And never close that gap. Not any of you. But it's possible. I'm going to make a stopping place right here. Because I could just keep going on and on. We never do finish. We just stop. I laugh. I like to tell. I like to remember stories about Billy Graham. He tells so many good ones. But when he was a young pastor, he said, "I had three sermons, and I was so excited. I preached them all in about ten minutes." <laughs> yeah, he he prepared himself for his road trip, you know, and he went out and he was so excited. He flew through the whole thing. And, Ten minutes. Are y'all getting what we're saying today? We're talking about our relationship. That's all. We we use the, the, the characters from the Bible to, to help us to learn what not to do. Or if we've done the same thing, how to repair the damage. And, and to understand that God is for us. He's not against us. The devil's the one that hates us. So whenever we find ourselves... With a little distance between God, you can feel it because the peace of God is supposed to be the umpire in your heart now if you belong to him. And it will be if you allow it. But you need to stay close to him. He's your daily bread. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't just eat once a week. I mean, that's, that's pretty, most of us are eating more than that. <laughs> but our spiritual diet, we're starving ourselves. You know, this isn't enough. You, you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm no different than any of you. I have the same free will. I have the same Father. He loves me the same. You know, the same Jesus. The same salvation. He's no respecter of persons. He loves you the same as he loves me. But I get distance in my relationship with the Lord. And do you know, I spend... At minimum four or five hours a day with him. I try to go through this every three months. I get distant. So I know you do. <laughs> and you don't have to do that. It's not about a work, remember. But there are things you can do. There are ways that you know God that I never will. You have special things, special times. Make a special meeting time and a meeting place with him. That's a good thing. He will honor that, by the way. He likes that. And people will walk past that place where you tend to sit and meet with God and they'll 
feel peace right here. There will be an anointing that rests on that place. I've seen it. I've, anyway, it happens. Praise God, okay? Are we good? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your precious word and for the opportunity to grow in our relationship with you. And not to be fearful when there's space between us and you that we have found ourselves following you at a distance. Lord, forgive us for those times when we do that. And always help us by, Holy Spirit, help us to, to see what we've done, to see that there has been space allowed, whether it be through fear or, or just time and, and just the mundane. Help us to stay on the narrow path, which is you. And sometimes it's lonely. There's always a crowd on the, the broad road, which leads to hell. Never lonely there. But, Lord, on that narrow path, sometimes there's only a few sojourners. But we always have you. Help us to stay close with you through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through meditation. Lord, lead us and guide us. We commit afresh and anew today to follow you and to follow you closely not to be fearful of man and not to be caught up in that crowd which falls away or seeks after seeks after teachers which will tell them what they want to hear instead of what you really have to say about things. We just trust you. We just decide to trust you and if you said it, it settles it and we're not going to complain or doubt it and we know that eternity is a long, long time outside of time even and that we're only here for a flicker help us to all be together in heaven to to know each other and to visit one another in our beautiful mansions there that you've gone ahead to prepare for us help us to affect others to know you and to help them to come to the knowledge of the truth Lord whether they just be lost person or a church person who's just religious and doesn't really know you or a Muslim or a Jew or whatever they might be an atheist Lord help, help us to have an inroad into their heart and minds and let them see you in truth to call upon you as Lord and Savior and be saved what a great testimony Lord thank you for your healing power which is at work within us and amongst us thank you for healing McKenzie thank you for healing Dennis thank you for healing Matt Poole Thank you for healing all of us, Lord, spiritually, physically, and mentally. We walk in that divine health and wholeness, and we hang on to it. We will not lose our healing because we have the healer with us. Close proximity. Close relationship. Hidden in the shadow of your wings protected, blessed, in Jesus' name, amen.